Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Terrence Malingone. Our guest this week, this is a roundtable. We have done this many times, and these are the two regulars. John O'Rand is the sports media reporter for the Sports Business Journal and Sports Business Daily. Chad Finn is the sports media reporter and a general columnist for the Boston Globe and Boston.com. Chad Finn joins us from Florida. I assume John O'Rand is in the D.C. area. John, am I, am I correct about that? Are you, are you in New York? In the 202. No, no, in right. D.C. What a big year for the Wizards, John. I mean, it's been exciting to watch uh, them from Toronto. All right. Let you know, us forget about the NBA. You're in, you're in Canada, Richard. We're still dining on the Stanley Cup down here. So I, I... <laughs> it's all Raptors all the time for me, John. All right. Listen, <laughs> let us stop. Ta- let us stop. Ta- this is not the Zach Lowe podcast. Let us talk. Stop the NBA as much as I love that sport. And let us get to the, the main item for this podcast. And that is Jason Witten. And John O'Rand, I want to start with you. Um, there are so many ways to go, but let's sort of start with this general, and that is how surprised or not surprised when you learned of the news that Jason Witten had decided to leave Monday Night Football and return to the Dallas Cowboys as an active player. On a scale of 1 to 10, I was uh, surprised it would be a 10. Uh, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, I was fully expecting, having talked to several people over at uh, ESPN, that they were going to move forward with a three-person booth, bring a Booger McFarlane into the booth, and that they were committed to at least one more season uh, with Jason Witten, if not more. They felt that he improved a lot, and they felt that he would continue to uh, improve more. They were planning on, on going forward. I was expecting him to go forward, so the, the idea that a you know 36-year-old uh, guy is going to go back into the NFL, I, I found to be utter, utter, utterly shocking. Chad? Uh, I'd put it about an eight because I think a 10 would be Romo going back to play quarterback for the Cowboys <laughs> at this point. But, <laughs> good uh, point. Good point. It is, uh, it, it was surprising in the sense that ESPN was really behind him. I mean, I, I know you guys probably won't do the same thing, but if you were critical of Witten this year and it was hard not to be, uh, it's kind of the obligation at times. You usually heard about it pretty fast from, from, uh, someone in PR there or, uh, you know, someone in, in, in management at ESPN saying, you know, give him time. We didn't expect him to be great right away. He's going into the job. And first, you know, I think they did expect him to be great right away because they did tout him uh, substantially after his audition about how good he was in that. So uh, I think there was a, a pretty serious commitment there to him from ESPN. And uh, he had a lot of backing over the course of a rocky season. So I, I I was pretty surprised, and I think uh, ESPN people will tell you they were very surprised. That I, Chad, I'm with you on that. Um, one talked to some people in, well, let's sort of just give the generalized phrase of management, and there were many who were <laughs> surprised. And then the other thing, and John, I'll just stick with you, is there was no coordinated release with the Cowboys. So that's a pretty good tip in terms of at least at the levels of ESPN public relations, they were somewhat surprised. I mean, not over the top, you know, you know, I mean, I, you sort of probably got some inklings if you read the tea leaves a little bit, but I still think pretty general surprise, just given again, that the news breaks from the Cowboys and then ESPN is sort of following with the pro forma. We thank Jason for, for everything they did. John, you sort of mentioned this, but I, I want to stick on this before we obviously get to the meaty topic of what will happen next. But I think, Chad, me and you are in agreement here that everything we heard out of ESPN was, we're behind this team, we are not making more changes at 
on Monday Night Football. Yes, maybe we'll bring Booger McFarlane back into the booth, but everything from both the talent and management as late as December was we're committed to to this group. And so I think if nothing else, um, maybe they had a backup plan, but but we all agree, right, that this was the A plan. It was going to be Witten, McFarland, and Tessator again, and most likely McFarland just in the booth, and they would end that booger, you know, booger cart uh, experiment. Well, including from from Witten. I mean, I, I didn't really talk to Witten about this, but you know, Kerry Jones came after him last season to try to get him mid season to come back uh, for for the playoff push for the for the Cowboys, and you know, he, he said no to that. So I think that there was an expectation among management that. You know, Jerry Jones was going to come at him again, and that uh, and that he was going to end up staying on ESPN. And so I think that's it, it did catch ESPN by surprise. I'm, I, I bet you that they knew that uh, that he was talking to the Cowboys, but I'm sure they didn't have any inkling that he would actually make the jump because he didn't do it when when his team really needed him last season during during the playoff push. Chad, on a sort of a base level, why don't why didn't why didn't the partnership between Tessator McFarland and Witten take off. I, I mean, I, I think to to call that to call the performance and performance is a tough one. That's subjective, but whatever Monday night, whatever ESPN management expected of that booth, that was not the result. And the criticism, I think, was fair of the booth, and they could never really shake the narrative. And a lot of this is obviously because of Witten, but they just could not shake the narrative that it was not up to the same par. Or caliber as the other A booths, Romo Nance, uh, Collinsworth, Michaels, uh, Aikman, Buck, etc. Yeah, there, I think there are a couple things, Richard. Uh, they did them no favors by putting Booger in his uh, Booger on appeal and not having him in the booth right away because it, it was very obvious early that he had no chemistry with Witten. It was like two guys talking on the phone when they were interacting and. Uh, I think if they were in the booth together, and we saw this in the playoff game when they, they actually were in the booth together, it was much smoother between the two of them. So, you know, having a, a novice broadcaster in Witten and uh, someone he, you know, fellow form, former pro football player, but someone he probably didn't know very well alongside him, uh, who actually wasn't alongside him, he was off in, in a card on the sideline. That That got in the way of them developing any kind of bond. I think the other thing, too, was uh, Witten didn't get better. Uh, you see, you tend to see pretty substantial improvement in the in the broadcaster if he's putting in the time in his, his first season. And by all accounts, Witten did. He worked hard to, to to get better at it. But it felt to me like he was maybe the same guy at the end of the season that he was at the beginning, and maybe even a little bit worse because I I think he got rattled by the criticism that that uh, he was too aware of what people like us might have been saying in our our columns are on, on the podcast or social media. And I, I don't think it had a positive effect. I, I, it, it, uh, it seemed like it made him think more about what he was saying. And that led to him uh, stumbling a little bit more, becoming more canned or even becoming more cliched. And so uh, that improvement really wasn't there. I'm sure he was frustrated with it. And uh, ultimately it just, it, it, it didn't work. And uh, I don't think it ever was going to, and maybe he realized that as well. Yeah, it was actually John. It was pretty. John, it was in agreement. Go ahead. I I think all three of us are in agreement about uh, Tony Romo, and we think Tony Romo is a high quality analyst. I've been of the mind that I don't think Jim Nance gets enough credit for that. Jim Nance is a a pro. 
He knows that he's working with Tony Romo in a different way than he worked with Phil Sims and a different way that he works with other analysts. And I think one of the big problems for the ESPN booth was that all three guys were brand new to the, to, to the NFL. I mean, Joe Tessitore was, was great in college, but he, hadn't, he, he was learning the sort of the cadence and the rhythm of, a, of an NFL booth. And so he was trying to get right, and he couldn't really bring along a, a new guy in the same manner that maybe that Jim Nance was able to, I think, at CBS, which really helped out Tony Romo. Yeah, that's um, those are those are I think both very very fair statements by you guys. Um, all right, let's move on to what is um, you know what is going to really I think dominate at this point the conversation, and that is who's next. Or is anyone next? What ESPN is going to do regarding Monday Night Football? I'm long on the record, and I'll start with you, Chad, that I think Lewis Riddick should be in the Monday Night Football booth. I've probably said this for a number of years now. I think he's ESPN's best NFL analyst. And to me, I think you should have your best NFL analyst on your biggest property. And usually Lewis Riddick and other places during the week. But if this is your most important property, which Monday Night Football clearly is, I'd like to see, and this is all subjective, who I think ESPN's best analyst, uh, best football analyst is. The, um, there were people who tested really well, such as um, Kurt Warner for ESPN, Matt Hasselbeck, um, Greg Olson, I think they, they liked. And so two things here, Chad. One, who would you prefer in that booth? And two... If you had to guess, do you think they add a third voice, or do you think they roll the dice and go with Tessator and Booger as a two-person booth? Yeah, the answer to the first part uh, first, the second part first, I, I, I think they probably keep it the same. I'm really interested to see what happens with Romo when his contract is up. I think it's after the season, and whether ESPN is going to wait to try to make the push there if he doesn't re-up with NBC anytime soon, but... Uh, I tend to think they might take this year just to figure it out and, and not go with a three-man booth. I know I thought Booger was pretty good in general. I mean, the three guys for a long time didn't seem like they really knew each other that well. And, you know, Tessator kind of oversold everything. They'd have a great game, and you'd keep telling you it was a great game when you, you knew that. But uh, I think they keep it status quo as it currently is right now and try to try to figure it out after a year but uh, I'm with you on Riddick I think I retweeted every time you mention it the last couple of years <laughs> uh, my only concern with that is he is so damn good in the broadcast on, on the uh, in the studio whether it's his ability like he's showing uh, during this part of the season over the last couple of years to evaluate uh, draft prospects I mean he was one of the guys uh, a couple of years ago, it was really on Pat Mahomes's Patrick Mahomes's side. Uh, he's he's a he was a big Josh Rosen guy. Who, you know, didn't have a, a great rookie season with the Cardinals, but is uh, someone who's got a lot of appeal as a trade prospect right now. So uh, Riddick's so good at so many things that I hope putting him in the broadcast booth doesn't take away uh, from what he adds to the various ESPN shows with his analysis. But he would be my first choice as well. I also thought they should have gone with Kurt Warner in the first place. I mean, he's a, if it wasn't going to be Lewis, Warner, you know, Warner's a Hall of Fame player. He's really good on the West one one broadcast with Kevin Harlan. And uh, he's shown a real inclination to evaluate quarterbacks, which uh, I think is something that would appeal to Monday Night Football, especially after Gruden kind of did the same thing, but loved every one of them. Warner's a little more critical. So he might be really good in that role too. But uh, I think it probably stays the same here for a year. That's interesting. Um, I'm with you, Chad. If, if it's Kurt Warner, I think that would be fantastic. John, the, the one place where I disagree with Chad is I don't think, given the criticism of the previous bo- uh, booth, I do not think ESPN management c- 
can go into this year with just a two-person booth. They may end up making that decision. I think that would be a mistake. I think you want to change the narrative from this past year, and I think the only way to do that would be to bring in a, at least at a minimum, a new voice. I think if you go with Tessa Torn, McFarland, I, I'm not sure you escape. Um, I'm not sure you escape sort of the public's thought of that booth. But I could be wrong. How, you you might have some reporting on this, or you might have some informed analysis. How do you see it? Do you think they stick with? You think they do what Chad is suggesting, or do you think they go to a three person booth and then add a voice? No, my sense is that they're, they're going to move forward with, with two. Um, I, hmm. People I talk to over there say they have not made a decision yet, and they could go the other route. But the the tea leaves that I've been reading say they're they're sold on Booker McFarland. They think he's a bona fide star in the booth. Uh, they uh, uh, Joe Tess is somebody who they really like, and they think uh, improved as the as the year went on, and uh, will improve again. And they think that those two have a good chemistry going as well. So. Um, my, if I were betting on this, I, I would, I would bet a lot of money on, uh, on it being a two person booth going forward. Interesting. All right. But so I, lose, I, I lose, I lose a lot of my bets. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, that is, uh, that's interesting to me. Um, you know, again, I have no doubt that they're contemplating that, uh, it's very clear that they were pushing how much they like McFarlane and Tessa tour last year. But again, this is not a knock on Tessa Tor McFarland, who I've said on the record a thousand times. I like both of them individually. I would add a third person. I think, I think that one. I think it helps you PR wise because you can sort of get that new voice in there. It gives you a little bit of a storyline. And two, I think it really separates you from the previous years, uh, previous years booth. So that's um, that's 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 pretty interesting. Do you think, uh, John? I want to stick with you for a second. Um, how much do you think the NFL gets involved in the uh, – how do I sort of phrase this? You know, there was a lot of talk last year that, you know, uh, ESPN wanted to uh, sort of appeal to the NFL by bringing Witten in, who was, uh, you know, a beloved cowboy, very tight with Jerry Jones. It gets ESPN maybe in a little bit of favor with Jerry Jones. I'm sure the league like Jason Witten – how much do you think like all that stuff matters in terms of how the owners feel about a high profile broadcaster, how the league feels about a high profile broadcaster? You know, the, the broadcast networks always tell us that they make the final decision and, you know, maybe they do, but there's no doubt that they make that final decision with a discussion with the, with the NFL or with the NFL, if nothing else, kind of signing off. Well, I think it mattered a little bit uh, last year because the relationship between ESPN and the NFL was so bad at, at, at the start, and they were trying to repair the relationship. So uh, a way to try to repair the relationship is to bring somebody in who is a uh, favored son of one of the most influential owners in the league. Um, I don't think, and I have not heard that anybody at the NFL called ESPN and said, hey, we want you to do this. Uh, but I do think that in making the decision, the, the ESPN is, you know, th- that's in the back of their head. They, they want to improve a relationship, and so they, they get somebody like that. So it's a, it's something that the league is not have, being heavy-handed about. It definitely is the final decision coming down to the networks uh, without question. And I think ESPN could have gone away from Witten and brought somebody else in w- without any kind of penalty. But I, I, I definitely think that was in the back of their head because they were trying to improve a, improve a relationship. Chad, there's no doubt that uh, you know the white whale for all these networks is Peyton Manning, but I don't yeah. see it. I, I think if he has not, if he has not shown interest in broadcasting at this point, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. And to be very honest, 
Peyton Manning at a certain point probably could have had any of the, maybe with the exception of the Collinsworth job, but essentially could have, you know, really could have had certainly a Thursday night job with Fox. He certainly could have had, uh, or potentially could have had the Romo spot. I don't know if Peyton Manning is going to come into broadcasting on Monday Night Football, which I, I think, you know, this is no knock on ESPN. It's the fourth broadcasting package uh, behind NBC, CBS, and Fox. Do you give, um, I don't know, you give this even a puncher shot or like me, do you see this as it's just Peyton, Peyton Manning sort of already decided he's not doing this? Yeah, I would say punch a shot is about the maximum there. Uh, you know, he does that ESPN Plus thing where he, he evaluates quarterbacks sometimes. He did uh, Jared Goff and Brady before the Super Bowl. And those things are good. Kobe Bryant does them for, uh, for basketball, yeah. too, and they're pretty candid. But uh, it seems like they're on a when-this-guy-wants-to-do-it basis. And uh, I, I'd be interested to see if, if uh, Manning actually gave indications he wanted to do this just to see what the price would get to, whether he would be the first, uh, you know, $10 million a year football analyst or uh, broadcast booth guy. I imagine he would and probably go well beyond that. But I'd also like to see how good he'd actually be at it. You know, he's, uh, he's terrific in all the assorted commercials that he does and has a real good sense of humor. But it's, it's pretty tough to, to make that last over three hours during a football game. And uh, uh, I, I imagine he's one of those guys who, if he did do it, he would get better and better over the course of the season, unlike Witten. But uh, it doesn't seem like anything that's really in his plans right now, other than you know dipping his toe in the water with the thing he does for ESPN right now. Uh, John, last one for you, and you're certainly welcome to weigh in on Peyton as well. But I would honestly put Tony Romo joining any other network below one, a one percent chance. And as I've said many times, and I've talked to Romo a number of times, and I certainly have talked to his uh, producers and Sean McManus, et cetera. He money is not really an issue for Romo. It's not to say he's not going to want to get paid market rate, but this is a guy who's made, you know, tens of millions of dollars in his career. He is exceptionally tight with Jim Nance. He's exceptionally tight with Jim Rickoff. I think he yeah. really appreciates CBS sort of uh, guiding his football uh, broadcasting career at this point. And every time I've talked to Romo, he talks about just the camaraderie he has with that group, and he cannot see himself working elsewhere. Now, could it happen, John Orand? I mean, anything in life can happen, I guess. But I, I would I, I would bet such heavy money on Vegas that Tony Romo will be at CBS for a long time. Do you – what kind of – you know, you've covered this for a long time. Do you give the possibility – any kind of credence of somebody coming in and swiping Romo? And if you want to weigh in on Manning, you can as well. Yeah, here's like the one area. If, it, if everything stays the same at CBS Sports and it's run by Sean McManus and David Burson, I don't think Vegas would even take a bet on it. I, I, I don't think there's any chance that uh, Tony Romo leaves, leaves CBS. But as you know, CBS, as uh, Les Moonves, is no longer overseeing it. They're looking for somebody new to run CBS. There's a possible merge coming. Uh, with with Viacom, who knows what the leadership structure is going to look like? Who knows what they're going to value or, or not value? So if you if you want to throw a monkey wrench in and say, is there a chance? You know, th- there's a lot of other things that can happen of, of, for a knock on effect there. But if McManus and Burson are around, no chance, none. All right, that basically means to me that Tony Romo will be at CBS longer than John O'Rand will be at the Sports Business Daily. So thank you, John, what, for confirming. What's Romo's price going to be in his next contract? Well, I mean, I think he can name it, but I would, you know, if we 
if we estimate that Gruden was probably the highest paid guy in this recent cycle at six and a half, seven, eight million or something like that, I would think Romo's looking at between eight and ten million annually. Uh, John, you yeah. want to take a shot at that? And Chad, feel free to. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't begin to guess. All, all I know is that Romo had played for one football team his entire career. He appears to be a very loyal guy. He likes CBS. He gets along really well with Jim Nance. How much does he value that? I think CBS is certainly going to pay up to keep him, but I, I, I don't think that this is a decision that he's going to make based on uh, based on money and being the most the, the highest paid analyst. Yeah, I mean the thing too is, like, Chad, is that like you know you, you don't undervalue like uh, how much comfort is important to some of these guys who've only worked with one producer or one director or one management group, and that's where I think Romo's not going anywhere. I just I don't I don't think the guy's going to want to just sort of change direction and work with a whole new group of people he's never worked with before. Yeah, he seems pretty appreciative of that too. Every time you talk to him, he. Uh... You know, he acknowledges the progress uh, that he's made and the people have helped him with that progress from his first audition, from sitting in that booth with Nance and doing, you know, the replays of watching replays of games and calling those and that sort of thing. He seems genuine in, um, you know, in the respect that he has for the people that he works with. And I, I think that's probably right that he ends up back there. But, uh, boy, he has, he has as much leverage as any anybody in this role I can ever think of. All right. Is there anything else you want to... Uh... You want to capture about Witten before we move on to David Levy? John, anything else you want to add? I'm wooden down now. <laughs> All right. David <laughs> Levy, leaving Turner. Um, that's, you know, a little inside baseball, but very, very surprising news to me, given uh, maybe I shouldn't be surprised with the, the sort of the Warner Media merger, but, you know, when you think about the sort of the names attached to Turner Sports, like Barkley and David Levy, to me, are the two names that are the most significantly attached to to Turner. I'll start with you, John Oran. I mean, how big is this? How big is this that David Levy is no longer running Turner Sports, the, the centrally the, the the biggest figure in that in that company for it feels like as long as we've been around. Yeah, and and uh, Levy was I mean, this is a sports media podcast, so we're going to talk about sports. He also had the entertainment networks as well and, and he had a huge job there. And all the expectations from people inside Turner was that he was going to he was going to keep it and increase his uh his um sort of level of power there. And uh, what ended up happening was that they ended up taking away a lot. They were basically saying like instead of overseeing all the entertainment stuff, we just want you to run sports. And uh and and he, he decided then to to take a walk. But his decision to leave after more than three decades at Tur- at Turner was a uh, I mean he was. He, he talked about in his me- internal memo announcing his uh, resignation, going on sales calls with Ted Turner in the in the 1980s. I mean, there was a, he, he's been there for a long, long time, uh, and it's uh, it sent shockwaves through Turner. And the big question now is how many people are going to be, be are there going to be layoffs? How, uh, if they're going to be layoffs, how many people are going to be laid off? How is the vision going to change moving forward? Um, huge questions, huge questions that I'm going to be taking a look at because it's, uh, you know, nobody has any answers right now. All right. Well, John, let me stick with you before I get to Chad. Um, what do you, what do you anticipate? Do you, would you, Jeff Zucker basically is now named chairman of Warner Media News and Sports. He runs CNN. Um, I personally do not think Jeff Zucker has uh, taken CNN to a great place. Maybe the profits say, profits say otherwise, but, um, 
what do you think, it, John? Do you think it means business as usual? Because at the end of the day, Turner wants to have its portfolio of the NBA and baseball, and obviously had significant interest in the NFL under Levy. Or could we see a dramatic change? Or like you said earlier, is it just impossible to know given it's so early? It's impossible to know right now. But I I will say that uh, Jeff Zucker is a larger than life person. Sort of almost like the Dick Ebersol mold. He came up under Ebersol at NBC. You know, he oversaw NBC Entertainment when NBC took the, got the rights to Sunday Night Football. He does have relationships with executives in, in the business, um, and he's a he's a guy that's going to have AT&T's deep pockets. And so, if they decide, even without Levy, who had deep relationships at all the leagues, if Turner decides that they want to continue to getting sports or they want to uh, invest even more in sports rights. Uh, Jeff Zucker is somebody I would want sitting uh, across the table, like to, to try to try to get it because he, you know, he's a, like I said, a larger than life executive that, that will have deep, deep pockets. And he has not as deep relationships in sports as Levy had, but uh, he, he has pretty good ones. Uh, by the way, Chad, it's unbelievable that John is already looking for lattes with that uh, speech he just gave. Yeah, like Jeff that? Zucker. Yes. Chad, you're, you're, I'm Chad, you're much. That. I'm going to clip that and send that to a Turner PR. By the way, clearly, yeah. <laughs> Chad, as a as a Boston guy who does, you know, who offers no favors to anybody. Uh, so I don't, I don't, I don't expect you to kiss. I don't expect you to kiss Jeff Zucker's ass here. What do you, um, what do you expect uh, from a post Levy Turner Sports? Well, I hope we don't end up with uh, you know Brian Stelter, Stelter hosting inside the NBA or something like that, and seeing too much of a, a CNN influence. But uh, it, I, the one thing I take away from all of this is, um, yeah, I think if you ask a common fan, you know, somebody who pays attention to sports television and is a real sports fan and kind of has a sense for you know who hires the broadcasters and who makes these rights decisions, they're probably the two names they would probably recognize generally would be John Skipper, I think, and probably Sean McManus. And uh, I, you look at what David Levy did in his 32 years at, at TNT and uh, Turner, and it's just incredible. It's just the, the sports stuff that he's done over what, since two, uh, 2006, I think he, he's been in that role. Um, the, 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 the involvement in the MLB postseason package and putting together a pretty good team there uh, their association with the NBA and, you know, inside the NBA still being the best studio program I think any of us have, have ever seen. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the TV deal for, for March Madness with the partnership with CBS, that's, uh, that's brilliant in, in, in the way that they made all that work, you know, combining the broadcast teams and, and, uh, uh, sort of taking, taking the tournament to a, a, another level. It's, it's incredibly innovative. Uh, they've done a remarkable job of the sports rights that they have. And I think he's somebody whose uh, departure, it, it's something that should concern uh, the, the average fan and the, the fan who cares about the broadcast that they're watching. Because I think Turner and TNT have done a really, really good job through through his tenure in making, you know, making the sports rights that they have, the, the games that they have, really presentable and really enjoyable. And that's what I'm wondering is if the, you know, uh, with this merger and with, with Zucker taking over in the, the bigger role, um, how, how that's going to change. I think they've been really ex- just excellent through the years. And Chad, you didn't even mention like Bleacher Report, which they bought for like 125 yeah. million, which people thought was like a ridiculous price that, that they got, you know, and they, so they're, they're doing the, the, the match that they did, which was a, a little bit of a, a failure. 
Um, but it was it was something new, unique, and different. Pay per view streamed over BR Live. I mean, it was they they. I described him in a story as just a risk-taking executive. So some things blew up in his face and some things didn't. But he was a really unique guy to run the the business. Uh, John Zucker has said that he is a fan of the sort of first-take kind of style programming. We see on CNN they have a ton of debate-oriented programming. I mean, they actually go deeper than ESPN or Fox Sports 1 when it comes to analysts. So is that our new future, John? Uh, your beloved Jeff yeah, Zucker? Will I mean, we, it looks will, Zucker has a history that goes back so far beyond CNN. I mean, he was over at, at NBC as well. I mean, he's a TV executive. He's not going to touch uh, the, the NBA pregame show um, uh, because that, cause that, that works so well. I mean, he, he, he's not going to go. He doesn't need to put his own imprint on it. I think you will see certain shows come out, but they're not a, they're not a 24-hour sports news thing that has to have debate shows to, to, to fill up the, the hours there. You know, he, so I, I would be really surprised if you see them go go that route with any of their pregame shows. Inside the NBA kind of is a debate show. It's just an appealing one because of the people on it. <laughs> That's well said, Chad. John, uh, Sal Petruzzi and Nate Smeltz here. We heard your comments about Jeff Zucker, and we'd love to invite you to Atlanta to uh, speak to Mr. Zucker <laughs> on a – all right, anyway. Let us move on to – we got two more topics I want to hit with you guys. Um one is ESPN's foray into gambling. We'll save that for the end. And then just quickly, uh, as we're taping this today, Jessica Mendoza was named by the Mets as a, I should know this, a, a special advisor. I'm not sure what exactly what the title is. I'll look it up as I'm talking. But basically, she's getting involved in the management of um, of the Mets. And it's not just uh, sort of a, a position where, you know, sort of a ceremony position. She from what we understand, is going to be heading to uh, Winter League meetings and, you know, doing all sorts of stuff uh, with the New York Mets. What makes this particularly interesting, and I'll start with you, John, is we are now seeing a lot of ESPN and, um, uh, I guess in baseball, Turner and Fox analysts who have official jobs or roles with major league teams who are also talking at least in game or in studio about those teams. Alex Rodriguez has a uh, connection with the Yankees. I don't know his official title. David Ross, I believe, um, works for the Cubs in some capacity. David Ortiz works for the Red Sox in some capacity. Chad, does Pedro Martinez work for the Red Sox or where where does he work? Somewhere, right? He does, yeah. He works for the Red Sox uh, in an advisor role, but he's pretty involved and, uh, you know, does his – is uh, TBS baseball stuff too. Okay, so I, I, I'm looking at this here. Uh, Mendoza's official role: front office advisor. Um, all right, so John, let me start with you. I, I when I used to be much more, I don't know what's what, what's the word. Uh, not hard headed. I, I used to like sort of really be bothered more by this potential conflicts or conflicts when people are being paid by organizations and then also broadcasting in game for a place but i've come to i mean this is the cynic in me i've come to not necessarily think you're getting you're getting the full story anyway so if the conflict is out in the open and you know they work for this organization just understand that like you're never going to really know everything they know about that organization that said um even when the mendoza mendoza news came down i probably got like you know, five, ten dms saying isn't this a conflict isn't this a conflict well of course yeah it's a conflict on face but like We've been down this road before. Um, 
I know that's not really a great question, but I'm just sort of throwing it out there to you, John. How do you how do you see this? Because it's not the first time this has happened, and it's not the last time it's going to happen either. I I've been doing these pods for how long, Richard? For for several a long years. Time. That, that is the worst question you've ever asked me. Thank you. No, no I, surprise. <laughs> no, listen, I I am uh, I'm completely conflicted by this. On on the one hand. It just doesn't pass, uh, pass my personal smell test. I hate it. Like, you know, I, I would hate to wa- watch, like, you know, my team going against, uh, you know, the team that, that uh, Jessica works for and, and, and just have her sort of commentate on it. I'd rather hear my own kind of announcers almost, right? It just, I, I dislike it. However, the other part of it is I don't consider play-by-play or analysts to be a journalistic role. So I, right. it's it, they, they play by different rules than uh, than say I would expect somebody that writes for ESPN the magazine or, or, or ESPN.com. So you know I'm I'm of sort of two minds. I personally don't like it, but I also sort of professionally don't have much of a problem with it. And I, I, that's a that's an inner conflict that I have. See, John sort of knocked my question, Chad, but I feel like I said something uh, very close. I mean, I just at this point like. Jason Witten, I, I don't think has ever or would have ever told you everything he knew about the Dallas Cowboys, all his conversations with Jerry Jones. He clearly was talking to Jerry Jones and Jason Garrett during the year. So I feel like I've just come to – it is just very rare for me to have an in-game analyst who I believe is 100% working for the viewer. There probably are a couple, but that's – I feel like the, the the position itself is sort of conflicted. Um, Chad, you're an interesting guy to ask this because you know you were in the market with Ortiz and Martinez, and so you you know you have two guys you covered for a long time who sort of have these kind of uh, agreements. Are you are you like John? Is are you do you have your own sort of conflict there? Do you totally see it as a conflict? Are you not bothered by it? How do you see it? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean. Uh... I can't recall Ortiz ever spilling anything interesting about the Red Sox on the Fox broadcast. Uh, Pedro can be Pedro can be really candid. I think it's one of the reasons that makes him, in my mind, we have, we have Dennis Eckersley locally, and he does CBS work, and I think he's the best baseball analyst in the country. Uh, Pedro is getting close. Pedro is really good, and uh, part of it is because he's he's candid about the Red Sox. Now we'll, we'll never know what he actually knows, but you know, he, he's, I remember him being critical of Clay Buckles before while he was working for the team. Uh, yeah, I, I think he's one of those personalities who can't resist telling how he really feels. That's kind of how he was as a player. It got him into trouble sometimes when he was just, uh, you know, too emotional, or too open about things. But I think it's one of the reasons that makes him a really good broadcaster. The thing with Mendoza that, uh, kind of dumps out at me is it sounds like she has a bigger role with the Mets than, uh, than Ross has with the Cubs or Pedro. Pedro's pretty involved with Sox, but Ortiz uh, is just kind of a guy who shows up in spring training. Uh, or A-Rod with the Yankees. He, he's, he doesn't seem terribly involved there. She She's going to be traveling, as you said, during the winter meetings. Uh, Brody Van Wagenen, uh, their GM who hired her, said they, they expect her to be part of their uh, group. And that sounds like she might have legitimate responsibility um, she has a history with him. They both went to Stanford. She was repped by CAA when he was an agent there. Uh, she's on a, a woman's athletics board with Ben Wagman's wife. So she's she had connections with him for a long time, but she's never actually worked for the guy. And uh, I, I'm 
I'm curious to see if we what we hear from her about the Mets. They're, they're not on Sunday Night Baseball till I think June 30th, so it's not going to be that really early, really early uh, test for her. But there's uh, there's going to be one for sure. And the the one other element with this, I, I I tend to feel the same way about it that John does, but I also uh, kind of want to give her the benefit of the doubt a little bit because I think there's a pretty big overlap on the Venn diagram about people complaining on Twitter about her, um, you know, about her conflict of interest, quote unquote, and the fact that they just don't like her in the broadcast booth because she's a woman. I think <laughs> that's a big element right. to this too. And uh, yep. so I, I tend to, on it, being completely honest about it, I tend to give her the benefit of the doubt a little bit more just because of the, the crap she has to deal with, this sort of thing. John, um, here, here would be to me just a very easy thing for ESPN to do, but they have proven that they're not going to do this as we've seen with John Gruden, et cetera. Why not just pull Jessica Mendoza from doing a Mets game? It would just seem to be to be the the smartest move in that you acknowledge that this 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 thing exists. She's being paid by the Mets. And while you have faith in her that she would do a professional job, which I have no doubt she would, you just remove you remove any kind of element of this and you remove the audience even thinking in game that she's, you know, in the tank for New York, or maybe working hard the other way to be sort of critical intentionally of New York. Like, to me, wouldn't that be the easiest thing to do is just to, like, not have Ross do Cubs games, not have uh, Mendoza do Mets games? I guess if you're in Chad's case, you'd be like, well, you want Ortiz and Martinez to do the Red Sox games because they're, they'd be a fun listen. But I, that's one, I mean, I am sure she will do that game. But why, if you're ESPN, you know, if you're ESPN baseball management, Mark Gross, Norby Williamson, et cetera, why don't you just pull her from that one assignment? Well, I think the question is, like, what do you expect from your analyst? And I think that they want her to describe what she sees on the field and not necessarily talk about, you know, inner workings of any team, be it the Mets or, or whoever the Mets happen to be playing. So, that, so that, you know, she, she can say, okay, this is a this is a play where they're going to hit and run. Or, you know, I mean, look, look at what makes Tony Romo so popular is not because he talks about sort of – you know, inner workings of the various teams just because he, he's able to see what, what happens on the field so much better than the average viewer, and he's able to articulate that. So I, I think, like, you know, if she's going to do it, she may as well do it. I mean, uh, maybe it would be an easier thing to, to pull her off those games, but I I mean, if she's going to do it, I mean, uh, based on what they want from her, from an analyst, I, I don't see that as necessary. Okay, interesting. I, it will be interesting if something's going on off the field with the Mets, and that becomes a discussion point. Chad, do you have an opinion on that, pulling these guys when it comes to uh, talking or being on a broadcast of the team that they are getting a um, that they they are getting a financial stipend from. Yeah, I, I think that should be the policy. But uh, you know, looking at it from the other perspective, I kind of want to hear what she has to say too. To, to just from putting on the the media columnist hat and then seeing uh, whether she's critical, whether she's candid, uh, you know, whether there's any awkwardness between her and A Rod because he's a Yankee and she's a, a Mets employee, but um, I, I tend to think she'll be in the booth and probably won't say a whole heck of a lot about uh, anything significant going on. But yeah, like Chad said, our columns are pretty much written for that next uh, for that next Monday after <laughs> that's only my Facebook game. By the way, uh, the ESPN love affair with Alex Rodriguez. I'm not saying it's hit Tim Tebow levels, but it's it's on the same train. Basically, I think we can all agree, and you know, we'll see where the next stop is. But uh, organizationally, they love. Can't get enough of Alex Rodriguez at ESPN. All right. Speaking of ESPN, John O'Ran, we will finish with this. 
John, was this your story? Did you break the story? Uh, it of, was uh, my story, yeah. Uh, was that uh, was that shoe leather or was that uh, hey John, how you doing? We're big fans of yeah, yours. A little bit, a little bit we of got both. this information. You know, I, have a, I have relationships that are out there, Richard, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm proud of both of you for not cursing like Jim Miller did in the first 30 seconds. Uh, but I haven't really given you anything to just drop F-bombs. You know, we're not talking about Ed Burke and <laughs> him being totally screwed by uh, Jimmy Bataro. Uh, all right. Speaking of gambling, John, terrible segue by me. I'm a little off my game here. Um, so, I, it's an, you know, Fox Sports 1 has Lock It In, and, and we've, we've seen – Gambling shows pop up all in different places. This is, uh, or, or not gambling shows per se, but sports gaming gambling information shows. And so now ESPN, Disney, beloved Disney, steps its toe into this. And I don't think it's a surprise at all, John, um, that they're going to sort of see how this show does on ESPN News. Very, very low stakes. Um, they'll see, you know, what works, what doesn't, what kind of response they get. But I feel like this, this is just my opinion, this is the beginning of a very long um process in which i'm not saying we're going to see sports gambling shows all over espn abc but i think as this becomes more commonplace in america i think we're going to see more of this content throughout espn agree disagree no absolutely i agree and i think that, that you said it well in, in, in what made this a big story for me is just the fact that this is what gambling's a vice and Walt Disney is, and um, this is a little bit more than sticking your toe in the water, but it is sort of like an hour-long show, five days a week. Uh, it's going to be on ESPN News, so it's not going to be on ESPN or ESPN Two, even ESPN U. Uh, but they're 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 just going to be testing it out, and it's certainly a first step before they do more. And just watching watching Disney wade into it is what is different than watching Fox wade into it. Watching Disney wade into it is like, wow, this is really all the networks you can pretty much bet are going to, uh, are, are going to be doing something with regards to uh, sports gambling. And it's going to be curious to see how each of them approach it. Chad. Yeah. I wonder how much of it ends up being a niche thing. I mean, you'll, you, you're seeing it and hearing it everywhere now. It's on sports radio up here where they talk about gambling, uh, you know, for significant amounts of time now. And, um, I'm not really a gambler, but I, I, I think it's harder for people to build credibility in the, in, in, uh, you know, on gambling programming than it would be for just a guy who's a, you know, hosting another talking head show or something like that. It's just, um, I feel like there's going to be a niche there and I feel like, uh, it's going to be difficult to, to really see individuals make a lot of headway here. I, it, it, it's tough to, to build trust in this regard. And I think once, um, you know, once uh, someone loses trust or leads somebody down a bad road, uh, that, that it could be a challenge in terms of uh, getting that person's credibility back. So I think it's, I think building quality gambling programming is going to be a lot more difficult for these networks than they realize. I agree oh, with absolutely. you, Chad. And jo- yeah, John, the one thing I want to say, I think Chad hit on something pretty interesting there is, again, I am, I am no sports gambling expert at all. But the one thing I've at least heard from people who are really in that world is that the networks like FS1 and ESPN, like the traditional networks, they got a big road to travel in terms of getting the 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 more harder core gambler to sort of tune into their shows because they don't. I think a lot of those people don't necessarily think that ESPN or FS1 or some of these other places is the place where they're going to learn or get informed at all, and so it's kind of an interesting 
it's an interesting place for all these places to be. They all want to get in on this gold rush because there's a lot of advertising dollars to be made, and there's a ton of 18 to 35s who gamble. But, um, you know, I don't know if, like, the right play is to do that with your conventional talent. So it's it's interesting. It's it's I'm gonna I'm actually interested to see how all of these places try to try to make it work. And at the same time, they have you know, uh, you know the these traditional gambling places. You know, Vicin and and uh, and every other place that's sort of catering to the same audience and demographic, but has far more legs in the sports gambling business. Yeah, I mean, if you're a hardcore gambler, you're not watching any of these shows, and I think that. If you're a TV programmer, you're actually not going after the hardcore gamblers. You're trying to get in a, as broad as you, as you possibly can. So you're trying to get the fantasy guys who don't gamble a lot just to, to tune in. And you're trying to get some of the more casual fans or the people that don't really bet but find the uh, uh, the programming interesting. So the, I, I think regardless of the network, whatever gambling show gets out there, it's going to be rejected by by the hardcore gambling fans who have, like you said, the, the bunch of other places to go and, uh, and 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 sort of more granular information to get on that. Chad, anecdotally, given that you are, um, you know, local based, city based in Boston, have you noticed that uh, whether it's the Boston sports talk shows on uh, on the two big sports radio stations there or the cable shows, the Nessons of the world, are they doing is has sports gambling either graphically or conversationally become a bigger part of their content? It has on the uh, WEI morning show, which you're familiar with. Uh, they, they talk about one of the hosts, uh, Mike Manansky's, um gambling forays uh, uh, fairly frequently. Um, I can't recall hearing it too often on uh, other shows other than or, or television programs other than sometimes talking about what the betting line is or talking about who's favorite and this or that. But uh, uh, I think it's something they're, they're kind of gauging to see if it has any effect, if it has any interest in um, you know, it's kind of a way to bust on one of the hosts a little bit if it goes wrong too, which is different than what you would get from a television uh, television gambling related program, where ostensibly it's supposed to be giving you good information rather than entertainment. So we'll we'll see. I think we will see more of it, but like uh, I, I think all of us kind of agree that it, it's going to be really tough to make it entertaining and appealing to an audience that really isn't, uh, you know, it, it, that it's going to be kind of a niche thing for a general audience. All right, John. Um, I think the only the last thing I want to do is handicap this for me, John. I want you to put odds on this, okay? After the Jason Witten story broke, I emailed uh, Bill Hoffheimer of ESPN's NFL PR staff and requested Stephanie Drooley and or um, uh, Lee Fitting. Those are the sort of two of the four-point people when it comes to the decision on Monday Night Football to request an interview. You know, I was politely declined. They, they, they were sticking to their statement at this time. What would you put the odds of them talking, let's say, publicly in the next, let's say, three weeks? Give me a Vegas odds count. Uh, next three weeks, I would put it at uh, 80%. I think they're going to make the decision relatively soon. And I think as soon as they make the decision, uh, Hoffa will, will uh, trot those guys out there. Uh, Chad? Yeah, I think uh, I think it comes pretty soon, and it, uh, I'm really interested to see what the reaction is because uh, I, th- I also believe that it's going to be Tessa Torn Booger and, and no third voice, and they should probably be b- b- braced for some reaction to that that uh, isn't going to be what they're looking for. It's going to be more uh, just these two guys again and nobody else. Uh, 
uh, you know, that's uh, that's not what we're looking for here. But uh, I think that's the way it goes. All right. And John, do you think the story breaks organically in terms of somebody hustles, gets it from whatever source they get? Or is this story <laughs> gifted from ESPN management or PR to a particular reporter? Uh, I think the, the story is going to uh, I think ESPN is going to keep this one locked down. I think that they're not hiring anybody new. So it's going to sort of keep the agents at bay. And, and so that's, uh, that's where some of the leaking always comes from. Uh, and my, my bet, 50-50, is that they're able to uh, put out a release and, and nobody knows on this. Interesting. Okay, Chad, your prediction on this one? Uh, two-word release should be status quo, but uh, <laughs> uh, they'll probably say a little bit more than that. They've Chad, when is the executive quote in there, Chad? Come on. Yeah, I mean, Chad, when has ESP, ESPN ever given you a two-word press release? I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll hear from Tess and Booger in it, too, I'm sure. For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, I always enjoyed the Norby Williamson quote that sounds like uh, it was generated out of, like, a computer corporate uh, speak <laughs> as opposed to a human being. Those are, those are my... Uh, those are my favorites. All right. I believe, John, it's going to break. I'm going to go against both you and Chad. I'm going to say somebody's going to get it. That's going to be my prediction. All right, Even if it's. It? Well, uh, you know, I think you got to put Marshand uh, very high on the list in terms of uh, uh, in terms of odds. I would put you potentially on there, given your – if it was a Turner story, John, I would definitely bet high on you after this podcast. Uh, ESPN. Um, I have to make sure they listen to this, Richard. Yes, I know. Uh I'm trying to think who else I might put. You know, you could you could also see a little, uh, you know, maybe ESPN does a little drop in its old time favorite New York Times or Wall Street Journal. Eh, well, you know, I think a lot of potential, a lot of different types may may have uh, maybe trying to get this one. So we'll we'll see how it shakes out. All right, I'm gonna listen. I thank you both for your time, and I'm gonna keep you on the podcast as I do my close. Feel free if you want to comment on anything I'm saying now. This is more uh, sort of organizational stuff. Uh, my thanks to John Oran and my thanks to Chad Finn for their time. The podcast before this one, Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak together, the uh, fine, in my opinion, the best regional NBA broadcast out there. Jason Gay and Pete Abraham as well. Uh, Chad Finn's colleague at the Globe. We talked about Nick Cafardo. Prior to that was John Oran. So he's been He's really earning his money, of which I'm not paying him anything. Thank you, John. Mark Fainer-Ruwada, Shannon Spake, and Jeff Gluck. Before that, James Andrew Miller. He of the F-bombs over Adnan Verk. Kevin Harlan, Laura Rutledge, uh, Chelsea Janes, Tom Verducci, Rebecca Lobola, China Robinson, Kate Abdow. Go down the list. If you like this kind of content, conversations with Chad and John, as well as uh, one-on-one interviews with uh, sports media people, please head to the Sports Media with Richard Deitch podcast. Uh, give us a rating and a review. That is how this podcast stays. For John Oran, for Chad Finn, for my producer, Terrence Malingo, and for Cadence 13, this is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.